we turn in God's holy word this evening to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we read the entire chapter this evening. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, 
the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The text to which I call your attention this evening is the 18th verse of Romans 8. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <clears throat> Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8 verse 18 is one of the most beautiful texts in all the Bible. Leading up to this text, the apostle has set forth the great doctrine of our adoption, of our place in God's family as his children. The great God, eternal in the heavens, has taken us into the fellowship of his own family life. 
his covenant life. So with Christ, we also cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of adoption, witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So the apostle, while speaking of the blessedness of possessing the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, introduces the subject of suffering. The Holy Spirit, knowing that we are flesh, would lead us to a proper understanding of suffering and how it fits with us being members of the family of God. It should be no surprise that among those to whom Paul wrote this epistle, there were some who still clung to an earthly conception of God's kingdom. And when they looked for earthly benefits in following Christ, they found them and found themselves facing suffering instead. The natural response was, why me? Why me? It's not unlike in our day when this concept of the gospel that claim, proclaims prosperity to all who have enough faith leaves no room for suffering for those who are faithful. It's easy to get caught up in thinking like the psalmist in Psalm 73 before the Lord once again restored him to a proper spiritual perspective. The psalmist saw the prosperity of the wicked and compared his way to their way of relative ease, his way being one of trial and troubles and affliction and sorrow, and he registered his complaint with God, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. He was horribly wrong in his perspective, and God mercifully delivered him and corrected him. But that psalm is recorded for our sakes. And here too in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit, knowing our need, will set before us and apply to our hearts a proper view of suffering. Suffering is part of our earthly sojourn. It's an unavoidable part of our earthly sojourn. But what shall be our reaction to it? We ought not be surprised by it. We're not exempted from the effects of living in this fallen world. And as we heard in the verses following our text, the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. But more, we heard in verse 17 that being partakers of Christ's life, we are also partakers of his suffering. And the reference, you understand, is not to his atoning suffering, 
but to the suffering that he endured in our flesh and at the hands of those who hated him. Nevertheless, as we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. That's the glorious promise that awaits fulfillment for our sakes. The glory that awaits us is indescribable. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. The theme to which I call your attention is the incomparable. And as we consider that theme, we notice from the text a certain suffering. Secondly, an incomparable glory. And finally, a necessary reckoning. The sufferings of this present time are certain and inescapable. As a matter of undeniable fact, the apostle speaks of the sufferings in the plural of this present time. The apostle certainly understood suffering. He spoke of some of those sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews received I five times forty stripes, save one. Can you imagine that, boys? Five times the Apostle Paul was whipped by the Jews, his back torn open with 39 lashes of the whip. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once was I stoned. That stoning took place at Lystra and is recorded in Acts 14 verse 19. We're not told much about that stoning. But that stoning was so severe, it appeared that the Apostle Paul was dead. Because we read that the Jews, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, he said. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, 
that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Yes, Paul indeed knew suffering. Nor are we exempt from suffering. There are the physical sufferings that we might bear. Even in childhood, there are sicknesses. Always involving some discomfort. Sometimes even severe enough to require hospitalization. There might be fractured legs and arms. There are diseases, too many to count. Some common, diabetes, arthritis, heart disease, lung disease, and some rare diseases, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, Jacob's Kreutzfeldt-Jacobs disease, just to mention a couple that have, have taken members in our own churches. Those, there are sufferings of the mind. In the midst of all the sufferings that Paul listed in 2 Corinthians 11, not to be overlooked is the one mentioned last. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That's a suffering of the mind in which Paul carried with him daily the concerns, the cares of all the churches, some of which were established under his oversight, all of which he, vi he visited at various times, and each of which bore their own difficulties, their own sins and weaknesses, attacks by false teachers, departures of members. Paul carried that. Carried that with him. He lost sleep over them. But there are many sufferings of the mind, even with some of which affect us physically, the sorrow of the death of a loved one, a spouse, a child. We live with fears. We carry anxiety. That belongs to the weakness of our human nature. Even, even though we are exhorted not to be anxious, not to worry, but to trust in our faithful Heavenly Father, there are the mental agonies that come with see, <clears throat> seeing loved ones walk in ways of sin. There are those sufferings of the mind with those who lose their memory and their ability to think. Alzheimer's disease and various forms of dementia affect some 6.2 million Americans aged 65 and older. That's suffering borne not just by those afflicted with, with the disease, but their family members as well. Now, we've just considered various forms of suffering, but they're only a sampling. You recognize that. Still more, we ought to notice from the text that the apostle 
gives no promise of, nor would have us expect any relief from our suffering. There's no suggestion here or anywhere else in the Bible that we can expect relief from our suffering. That all things are going to get better during this earthly sojourn. Tomorrow our pain will be gone and so on. When it comes to our personal afflictions, for example, we might pray for healing and God might be pleased to give us that healing for a time, but we're never promised that. My old knees are not going to suddenly become the knees of my childhood when I could outrun just about anyone. Ecclesiastes 12 tells us about the breakdown of our physical bodies in this earthly sojourn. That's the reality. The dementia patient is not suddenly going to regain the memory of an elementary student. Some afflictions we will carry with us to the grave. Nor can we escape the sufferings that trouble us in the world. The tornado that wipes out a large neighborhood will take out the homes of believers as well as unbelievers. The social chaos in society, the anarchy that reigns and affects the thinking even of some within the church, might not affect our neighborhoods or our congregation, but they might cause no end of sorrow to fellow Christians in other places. The coup by the military overthrowing the government of Myanmar does affect the saints there. Very significantly, the saints with whom our churches have had contact, wars and rumors of wars affect believers in various parts of the world and cause much suffering and even death. And in the face of those things, we don't hear the call in the Bible to go out into all the world and try to change the conditions and alleviate the suffering. There is no false optimism presented to church. No teaching of gradually improving conditions until all suffering is gone. Rather, scripture provides for us a theology of suffering that calls us to face our sufferings from a certain perspective. Knowing, as we read in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, that our afflictions work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God chastens those who are sons, Hebrews chapter 12, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold, Job 23 verse 10. But we must not overlook the fact that the text really speaks of a particular kind of suffering. Because in verse 17, the apostle was speaking of the sufferings of Christ, of suffering with Christ. What our text says concerning suffering certainly applies to every form of suffering that we might experience, but it is applied particularly to the suffering that we experience for Christ's sake. After all, 
Paul also wrote in Philippians 1 verse 29, for unto you it is given. And the, the word there is literally, for unto you it is graciously given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. We suffer in fellowship with Christ. We suffer on account of our relationship with him. We partake of the same sufferings that he experienced. Now it's important for us to understand this correctly. That does not mean and cannot mean that we suffer the wrath of God that Christ experienced at the cross. From that point of view, his suffering was unique. His suffering was satisfaction, the atonement for all our sins. Still more, the sufferings that we experience with him are not part of his meritorious suffering. The sufferings that we bear the seemingly endless hours of pain and misery do not merit our glory nor contribute to our place in glory. Our salvation is completely and solely in Jesus Christ as we heard again this morning and hear cons consistently in the preaching. But the sufferings that we bear with him refer to the sufferings that Christ endured at, in our flesh and at the hands of sinful men because of who he is. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John 1, verse 11. He told his disciples in John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Furthermore, verse 20, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. To follow Jesus as his disciples, we are called to take up our crosses. Not everyone will bear with the same measure the sufferings for Christ's sake. Not everyone is called to face the persecution that brings starvation or torture or death. But our lives, as faithful children of God, members of Christ by faith, will mark us as radically different. We are strangers in a hostile world. Radically different, as we have seen, from those ensnared in the bondage of sin and death. We have the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. For that reason also we sing with the psalmist in Psalm 34 verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And yes, it becomes clear in that psalm that the one who sang that first, was the word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the righteous. Evident, too, from the fact that the very next verse speaks a prophecy that finds fulfillment at Christ's crucifixion. He keepeth all his bones, 
Not one of them is broken. But we sing as those who are in Christ Jesus and as a matter of our own experience, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The hostility that we face will increase. We observe that in our day. We may expect that, and that was the apostles' own experience. Now notice also this concerning our sufferings. They are sufferings of this present time. In other words, there is an end in sight. They are, our sufferings of this present time are limited. The sufferings of those who are in Christ Jesus are limited to this present time. And Paul is soon to call our attention to what awaits us. There is an end for our suffering. That's not the case for the wicked. For them, there are unending sufferings in the everlasting desolation of hell. But for us who are in Christ Jesus and who suffer with him, there is an end in sight for all those sufferings, every last one of them. And the end in sight is that of incomparable glory. Who can describe that glory? That glory is God's glory. The apostle speaks of it that way in Romans 5 verse 2 where he speaks of rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. It's the shining forth of all his spectacular virtues as they are revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's clear because the Bible refers to Christ as the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. Words fail to express that glory. I have to say, I flounder when I think of attempting to describe the glory that shall be revealed in us. I flounder. And then I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, and I don't feel so bad. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It's the glory that comes to revelation in Christ who sits at God's right hand. That glory, in, the sense, in a sense, is what has been promised the church from the beginning of the world. We live in this present age. You and I live at this point in history, and according to 1 John 2, verse 18, we live in the last hour. In fact, we live in the last minutes now of the last hour. But no matter the time in which God's people live, Always the church is looking forward to the hope, looking forward in hope for that which is to come. When the apostle speaks of the glory that shall be revealed, it's evident he's speaking of a future event. 
He speaks of that great event to which the whole Bible points, the culmination of the promise, the restoration of all things. Always God's people were called to look forward. So our children have memorized from Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham looked for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In the New Testament, Christ held that hope of glory before his disciples. In Matthew 19, when Peter said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now notice, he speaks of that future in terms of the regeneration, that is, the rebirth, when all things shall be renewed and the lasting glory shall be revealed. The apostle speaks of the same here in Romans 8, verses 19 through 23. And then we might think of, of John's Jesus' words recorded in John 14, the first three verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The apostle speaks of that glory being revealed literally into us into us. We shall be partakers of that glory. That's our salvation. We have that salvation. We heard that in Romans 8 verse 1. But we await the full revelation of that salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. In Romans 13 verse 11 Paul writes, now is the day of salvation nearer than when we believed. Glory, salvation. Think of that. The apostle puts it this way. The apostle John, in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him, which is to say that Christ will radiate his own glory in and through his people. All that is of sin, all that is not to the glory of God shall be removed, and God's glory shall come to perfect expression in you and in me. 
we sometimes have the impression that in glory, we're going to have the privilege of sitting back and observing the magnificent beauty of the new creation. But we're not going to be mere spectators. We're going to be partakers in that glory. It's going to be revealed in us. There shall be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. The struggle with sin will be gone. He who sits upon the throne, whose words are true and faithful, says, Behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21, verse 5. That's the hope of glory that awaits us. Now the apostle would take all the sufferings of this present time and place them on one side of a scale. And he would compare them to the other side of the scale which holds the glory which shall be revealed in us. What will the scale reveal? We considered the sufferings of this present time just a sampling of them. It's painful even to run those things through our minds. And many live in the pain of their sufferings every day. The sufferings continue hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year. How can those sufferings even be weighed? They are so many and so great. So great are those sufferings we would desire to escape them. But the glory that shall be revealed in us is incomparable. The weight of that glory, the joys of gl the glory of God that awaits us will make those sorrows vanish before our minds. Forgetfulness is sometimes a great blessing. Perhaps you have suffered a serious injury in time past. And you might well remember being told about the wreck, for example, but you don't remember it. And you don't remember the, the first few days, perhaps, after the wreck. You can be told about it, but the memory of that pain is not there. And in a sense, we may say that the joys of glory, which shall be revealed in us, shall wipe away all our sorrows. And that isn't to belittle the sorrows that we experience at this present time. We live with those sufferings. But the glory that awaits us is incomparable. Still more, the apostle tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, that those sufferings work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The apostle will also emphasize that in verse 28 of Romans 8, when he writes, and we know, by faith, we know 
that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But then you also realize this truth requires a necessary reckoning. To reckon is not merely to express an opinion. It is to deliberately weigh things in the mind, taking account of the reason and calculating with certainty the answer. It is therefore to look upon Christ and to know yourself one with him by faith and to lay hold of the certain promises of God the reckoning that we speak of, therefore, is an exercise of faith. This glory, after all, is yet to be revealed. That means now it's covered up. It's true that principally we who believe possess that glory even now. We, we receive faint glimmerings of that glory as revealed in the gospel. But the text speaks of that glory for which those in Christ stand in joyful expectation. And so the apostle weighs the matter. And the importance of that ought to be evident. The gospel does not just give us a general word of comfort, telling the suffering person that all is well, this too shall pass, things are not as bad as they appear to be. Christianity would have us reckon with the promises of God the gospel of life in Christ Jesus that alone frees us from sin and death, the gospel of life everlasting. We are to deliberately weigh all our life, everything we face in this earthly sojourn, we are to weigh it all in the light of the gospel. And, and in light of the purpose of God in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the question for you and for me today is, do you make this confession your own? That's possible only when you are one with Christ. Are you? Are you standing in him in whom alone is life eternal? Apart from him there is no glory. The wages of sin is death. But when your life is in Christ Jesus, when the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made you free from the law of sin and death, then you know that nothing can separate you from his love. Is the cross that you bear heavy? How joyous then must be the glory. The cup that you drink is bitter. 
How sweet then will be the glory that shall be revealed in you. For Christ's sake. Because he bore the sufferings of everlasting hell that you and I deserved. Fear not, therefore, but fight the good fight of faith with your eyes fixed on the glory that awaits us. For Christ's sake, amen. Gracious Father, in this earthly sojourn, and also as the consequence of man's fall into sin, we bear much suffering. Some of us bear suffering every day. Some of us bear intense suffering every day. And we look to thee. We look to that hope of glory that awaits us. Because we lift up our eyes. And drawn by thy word and spirit we fix them upon Jesus. And by faith we see in him the life everlasting that is ours. Father, increase our faith, strengthen us for the callings thou dost give us to put our trust in thee and our hope for the glory that awaits us. For Jesus' sake, amen.